Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host, Daryl, and I'm here with Lauren. Hi, guys. Classic question, Lauren, but how are we doing today? We're doing okay. It's just, yeah, it, it's just weird at the moment, isn't it? We're going kind of through a lull. I mean, I know it's not really a lull because we have the Final Fantasy VII remake, but it just feels like a lull because there's nothing really new. Well, I mean, there was the recent trailer. They just, well, not, not a trailer, sorry. It mm-hmm. was not a trailer. Yep. It was a commercial. And yep. I thought it was really nice, actually. Yeah. You. I have not you watched, watched it, yet. it yet. No. Um, but yeah, like it was, it was kind of built up beforehand as a trailer. People were expecting them to show off new stuff. And it's like, no, it's, it's a commercial. So it was built around trying to, uh, I don't speak Japanese, but mm. you can kind of, you can kind of gather the sentiment from watching it. It's trying to build on the nostalgia of people that used to play Final Fantasy VII and the different experiences they had. So like there was, um, it focuses on, uh, I don't know if they're boyfriend and girlfriend or they just live together. Or they may be married, I don't know. Um, but it just focused on their their separate childhoods around the game. So the girl used to play um, the game with her older brother. Like she used to watch him play, very similar to you. Yeah. And uh, the boy uh, would play the game like with his friends, like two or three friends, which was very similar to me. Um, and it was just like bringing back those things and then relating it to the modern day where he's talking about the seven remake with his co-workers and getting excited about it. It was like just a, a nice just a nice thing. It, it was yeah. a very different type of commercial than we would expect. It's 13 minutes long. Like it seems more like a celebration of Final Fantasy 7 in itself than a trailer for the game. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I think it was just there to try and like rekindle memories of the original game tap into Uh, the feelings yeah because like final fantasy 7 is i think the best selling final fantasy game in japan Mm. and you know everyone in japan is is what everyone in the world who's into video gaming is is pretty much going to know that it's coming out but yeah i think maybe they're trying to reconnect with people that have lost touch with gaming yeah to try and bring them back in to try and remind them of what it was like when they were a kid when they were trying to play the game or it was, Which... it, was a, it was a nice sentiment. It's just not the kind of thing that we're used to over here, I don't think. Mm. Especially that long of a of a um, a piece. It was 13 minutes long. Mm. There was a shorter version. I watched the, the longer version. There was just, there was a silly moment when they're in a bar talking to this kind of crazy guy who was like um, humming the theme tune and that was kind of strange. But, you know, on the whole, <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it worked okay. Let's just say Japanese are... They they are a bit strange. They're eccentric. Yeah, they're they're a bit eccentric, but adorable. But yeah, I mean, like, there's not really much been going on outside of that. It's been playable everywhere. That one demo has been played at every single major trade show mm. that has been happening, mm. and the feedback has pretty much been resounding the same. Yeah, resoundingly the same. Everyone loves it. Yeah, but yeah. It's a very small snippet, so it's hard to get uh, an idea on depth of the experience but what people generally people have been really positive about it it's positive yeah yeah Yeah. and um they've been doing some nice stuff as well like um one of the community managers from square enix london actually put together a little card 
for yeah, I the believe it was uh, Sunil. Yes, Sunil uh, for the development team. Um, just ask people when they've seen it at the trade shows around here um, to just say how they felt about the demo and um, sent them off to him. It's like, where is that one person who just says, it's a pile of crap? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the tipex? Yeah, we hate it. No. Um, but yeah, no, it's just nice. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so today we're not going to be talking about the 7 Remake. No. We had mentioned last episode that we had a topic in mind. And that's because it's it's pretty much the one-year anniversary of the departure of Hajime Tabata. Mm. And that makes us sad. Mm. It does make us sad. Mm. So... We're going to be talking about um, kind of how the departure came about and what he's up to now, what's happened at Square Enix since, and then just talking about why we liked Tabata so much. Because some people are very confused about it. <laughs> they are. It's a shame. Like we, You're not allowed yeah. to like him, damn it. Yeah. We are allowed to. Mm-hmm. It's our prerogative. We can do what we want. It's our show. <laughs> you can tell us what to do before we do that though we are going to do our patreon shout outs and we're going to kick things off with nahi klablawi guide seeker chris morales michael graham barry norton at nortron zero theron bullen at massacre 23 tori patrick fayaz balal lewis james zach duranto rachel casterton at urbion ray muhammad kayam zelda clone at apes type novels darren matthews at doomster 73 Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J. Alex and Rachel Trotman at Akira Name Jin. Keith Field at The Mighty Keith. Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson. Miles Ribbons. David Calrome. Chris Pope at Dr. Pop 181. Janik Naud at Janik Naud. Freya Stella. Hunter Morgan. Flip said Nuss. And Tom Hughes. Thank you all so much, Thank everyone. Thank you, guys. Okay, so main topic, Tabata, one year on. Mm. And like... I think we kind of just touched on it then. The reason why we even wanted to do this topic is because we have a bit of a soft spot for Tabata and that is partially because he is just this really adorable guy. And when we met him as well, he was just so happy and enthusiastic. Yeah. And um but he we also appreciate that there's people that just don't like him. There are there he has received a lot of negative feedback around Type Zero and uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. And, you know, I, I can understand that because in many ways, Final Fantasy XV, the, the mess that he inherited was an unwinnable situation for mm. him. No matter what he did, no matter what decisions he took, someone was going to be unhappy. And ultimately, he just took the best course that he felt he could to make a game that would deliver upon what was expected of him. And, you know, to his credit, he absolutely smashed expectations that square had and i think it's probably not said enough that when tabata took over the project final fantasy was in a terrible state square enix it's one of their biggest franchises if not their biggest franchise they did not even expect it to sell five million copies Mm. and if like it's just yeah it's absolutely maddening um but i guess the thing that kind of makes me a bit sad um, is that I don't know if they've learned. I don't know if they've learned anything from it. I don't know if they've, because we, I mean, there's not enough to show that if they did a new IP or a new 
a new Final Fantasy game, if the way that Tabata worked like tirelessly to market the game, if they would have the same results as they had with Final Fantasy 15. I mean, Nomura is notably silent <laughs> with the way that he markets his games, which is fine. Like that, that's fair enough, you know? Um, but like he's, I don't know, like with Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts kind of sold itself in the end, didn't it? Like Kingdom Hearts. And the seven remake is going to do the same thing. Exactly. So, you know, with Final Fantasy 16, like, I just feel like they have an opportunity to sort of build upon what Tabata did as far as marketing went. And I think that's the thing that's really worth stressing. It He obviously worked with, is it a Fuji? Mm. Um, who, is it a Fuji? Yeah, a Fuji. Yeah, uh, his marketing manager um, with the acting time reports, but you know, it it was really his decision to mm. do all those, to spend all the time doing those active time reports, to travel, to meet the communities. That was all on him. Like he decided that when 15 became his project, that he needed to, he needed to reconnect with the fan base to assure mm. them that it was going to be okay. And he wanted to front up to the decisions he was going to make. And he did it on the basis that Square did not expect the game to sell more than 5 million copies, which for a Final Fantasy game was was shocking. That would have put it put it way down in the sales lists. And it's because of what happened with 13, like the the by the end of the 13 trilogy, it was just so down like everything was downtrodden around the franchise. And he was like, "No, I reckon I can beat 5 million. I'm going to we're going to aim for 6 million." By the time he left the company, it was sitting at 8.4 million. And that was a year ago. Since then, they've exceeded a, a million sales on Steam. They haven't done any more press releases because I think they kind of want to just sweep this game under the carpet <laughs> now because of everything that's happened. Yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was around sort of 9 million copies, which actually makes it, I think, the second best selling game in the franchise. Like it's second which is or third. crazy. On par with like Final Fantasy 7 and 10. Yeah. Which, based on that low, really low expectation, it's just absolutely crazy. And, like, you know, the reviews were decent. Like, it's not like the game mm. was critically panned or anything. Mm. Like, the reviews were decent. It was, like, an 80% game. Like, and considering everything that happened, you know, the fact that it was able to achieve that. And, you know, from a technical perspective, like, it was way up there in yeah. terms of, like, what they were able to achieve. Yeah. I mean, this game could have just e as easily not have existed. Like, there's so many things that were... Well, they were going to can it, weren't they? Yeah. I think. So many things that were going wrong with it that it could have easily just been swept under the rug Wasn't and that gone. The, I may be just remembering this incorrectly, which based on a couple of past episodes, <laughs> I'm getting pretty bad at. Um, but I seem to remember there was an interview that uh, came out where Yuichi Wada had asked Tabata whether or not he thought the game should be canned. Mm-hmm. And um, that was around the time when they were thinking about removing Nomura from the project because it just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. He had like, I don't know, seven years at that point and achieved that next to nothing. crazy. And um, yeah, and Tabata was like, no, no, we can still make this work. Just just let me, let me try. Mm. Uh, because he wanted to. And, you know, he did so much stuff with it. Like he, sure, the DLC was not really planned out. 
they had to do it that way because they had to remove so much stuff like the, yeah. you, if you look at the interviews from the when it first did the rebrand and they were talking about the finding they wanted to have all four playable characters and all this stuff and then they just couldn't do it it just was too much work and then they used the dlc to build up the game and by the end of it it was roughly the experience they wanted it to be but you know like he he decided to do the game as a service model free updates every month on top of the paid DLC to keep people connected. They had the the um, collaboration events with like Final Fantasy XIV, Assassin's Creed, the Moogle Chocobo Carnival. Like there were all these different things they did to try and bring people back in. And it worked because they built this like diehard community that gave them so much confidence to then say, well, actually we're not done. We want to carry on working on this game. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And I mean, like, there are some people who who were angry about that, like, were relieved when there was finally no Final Fantasy XV anymore or no more active time reports. But at the end of the day, I mean, he was successful. He was extremely successful in what he set out to do, um, regardless of how you feel about the end product. Like, personally, like, I... I wasn't happy with 15. Like, I I didn't like the story. I thought that the story was going to be a lot stronger than it was. I thought that the gameplay was what was going to suffer because I know that previously, Tabata has done well with the stories of his games. Um, so, like, I was disappointed, but I can't, I can't just sit here and say, oh, well, it was a terrible game, piece of trash, throw it in the garbage. It wasn't. It 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 did really well. And um, even for all of its faults, it's not the worst game I've ever played in my entire life. That would go to Marvel, whatever it was, that Marvel game that we played <laughs> yeah. for review. That would, I gave like a two out of 10 or something. Um I mean, I wouldn't list Final Fantasy fifteen in like my top five. No, but it's definitely not like people need to stop saying that a game that they like mildly dislike is a piece of garbage because that's just so extreme and so just Say it. Disrespectful. Oh, it's just so idiotic is what it is. Oh, the game is a piece of trash. Throw it in the garbage. It's like all the ones who really want to hate like Kingdom Hearts three. And you just sort of think like, okay, you didn't like the game. As much That's, as you thought you would. That is fine. But that does not mean that that game is a zero out of 10. That does not mean that that game is a piece of trash. That just means that you mildly disliked that game. You were disappointed by that game. And that's okay. But either way, um, yeah, I'm going off a tangent. But um, you go, Lauren. I know. Go. <laughs> I guess the one thing that I really liked about Tabata, or I guess I admired, was was the kind was the fact he was willing to take those risks and yeah. try things. Like there was a point when I just really wished he would dial back on the active time reports. He was mm -hmm. doing like one a month, and it was just a bit too much. And then there was the whole thing when he announced that they were going to announce the release day and. And they had to change all their plans and they didn't really have too much. Like they were asking him all these questions that he would give like really honest answers to. I know. And you're like, the whole Moogle oh, that debacle was, such a was just such a mess. It just could have been completely avoided. 
Yeah, I know. And, and like, but they they learnt from it, and mm-hmm. you know, I think by the end of it, it, he was in a pretty good place because they were able to found Luminous Studios, and it was about giving them more autonomy. They were able to greenlight, working on four new pieces of DLC. They were working on a new IP, mm-hmm. and it felt as though like we we talked about it before. The stars had basically aligned for the guy. Like he'd been yeah. working his entire career on like sequels or existing ips that he'd just been like given like before crisis crisis core um like type zero i don't think even was potentially his game but it wasn't necessarily his idea as well like mm-hmm. um it was based on like the fabula nova the fabula nova crystallis mythology that he didn't come up with like he'd basically like always been doing other people's stuff yeah and he finally got a situation where he had his own studio, not even a business division, a new studio. <laughs> he would have like pretty much full autonomy. He'd still have to answer to the board about what they were doing and stuff. But, you know, like complete autonomy on his budgets. He could he could do the four pieces of DLC alongside the IP because they believe they can do it. And then he quit. And we mm. were just like, what the hell yeah. happened here? Like, What has this that... all been for? Yeah. If I can't scuba, this is just <laughs> the end of the world now. Um, but yeah, no, Creed I was really, I was really surprised when that happened. It just came so out of the blue, and it mm. seemed like it was really not his decision. Yeah, um, or that he just he reached a point. Yeah, he'd reached the point because I, I mean, I felt when they announced they were doing the four pieces of DLC, and he'd said that. They were just going to make it work because they were already working on the new IP. And I was thinking, like, how are they going to do the new game and produce these pieces of DLC throughout, like, the year? Like, mm. it's, it's just so much work. But, you know, he's like, you know, we've convinced the, like, the, the, higher, the executive board that we can make it work. It's, everything's going to go on schedule. And, and then he came out and said, like, it doesn't matter how long it takes. We've learned our lesson. The DLC will be as, like we will release the thing that we want. We will not try and hit like deadlines that we can't meet. It will be complete. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then it comes out like, you know, all of them are canceled apart from episode Arden um, and he's quit. And then Square Enix put this press release out like the day off or the next day, basically blaming him yeah. for losing $33 million. Yeah, like, what the hell was that? And, and it's like, you know, when you actually read into the, the the stuff and he even came out a bit later and said that, you know, the $33 million was only lost because they Square Enix took the decision to cancel all his projects. Yeah. Like, he didn't choose to cancel the DLC. Like, he how... Didn't. How bitter can you be to lambast and like criticize the man who just pretty much made you <laughs> so much money off of a game that was going to tank completely without somebody stepping in and saving it? You're just like, oh yeah, no, he's he's dead. I mean, dead I to would us. caveat that we don't know what happened behind no, the scenes. But it this do- is just kind of how it looks. This is speculation. This is speculation. It's just how it looks. I mean, yeah. Like, But the- I do think that uh, Square Enix does have a history of being particularly um, bad. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the older generation uh, Square Enix employees didn't necessarily leave on the best of terms. I mean, to be fair, I don't know how Nomura is 
like other than the fact that maybe because he's like the the golden boy and maybe he just gets what he wants or whatever but like i honestly don't know how he's still surviving with how much pressure he's probably under with the company and the health issues too like you know so many of them just seem like they're just working ungodly hours um, he ha- Namora alone has like 50 million projects he's doing. He's been hospitalized a couple of times as well because of the stress and the strain. Like, it's really bad. And I think it is, I think it is a theme with Japanese culture, especially as well, is that like work is just so important to them. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of like one of the last one afloat aside from like Kataze, but Kataze's in more of a, a senior role now. He, he, I don't know if he can like sort of take a backseat a bit, but it seems like he is taking a bit of a backseat now. Yeah. I mean, he, he made that statement that we talked about the last podcast where he's like, I don't want to, I want to, I want to see a Final Fantasy VIII remake. I just don't want to be involved. And it's kind of like where Sakaguchi got towards the end. He's making the bigger decisions about kind of like what projects they proceed with and coming up with like, I guess he's supposed to be coming up with the wider ideas, mm. whether or not that's his role. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating, but he's, he's on the board now. So it should be like a higher level view of how the company's running mm. as opposed to making any real creative decisions around things. And I mean, I guess it's also telling that Kitaze isn't actually directing Final Fantasy VII Remake and instead yeah. of just like... No more. I, mean, I thought that was really shady. Yeah. But it just seems to be how things are going at the company now. But like, yeah, yeah you know, Matsuno left with health issues. Yeah. Um, you know, Uematsu just kind of left uh because of the office move or something. Like they mm-hmm. weren't weren't gonna accommodate I, I can't remember fully. Mm-hmm. Um, but a load of creators left around that same time. And it seems as though a similar thing was happening here because obviously uh Tabata left. Uh, Hideo Baba left and they cancelled his project, closed down his studio. Mm. Luminous Productions is still, Luminous Studio is still alive. Mm. They released episode Arden, which while it was decent, didn't have much continuity with it. Mm. Like there were issues around it. The other three got condensed into a book that is, you know, it is what it is. It's coming out (laughs) next year in English. Yeah, the new IP that they were developing under Tabata, we don't know if that's con- if that got canned or mm. if they're still continuing to work on it. But they've just been so cagey about stuff in recent times. It's it's so weird to know what's going on with Square at the moment outside yeah. of the Seven remake. I do wonder if at some point Square Enix will go by way of Konami in the sense that, like, if they lose Nomura, like. Well, he's going to, he's almost 50, right? Yeah, like their Japanese side is, is um, unless unless Yoshi P can pull out a Hail Mary and like really sort of save the mainline. But then who do they have outside games, of him? They don't have anybody. They have like, I, I can't think of anybody who they would trust and trust. I guess do there that is kind of Hiroki Chiba. But like, I feel, and this may be, this may be, a bit extreme but i just feel like the japanese side of square enix is failing like i just don't i outside of the final fantasy 7 remake like the other stuff that they've produced has just not been up to snuff like 
Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy VII Remake have been like really big. And then their re-releasing of games is obviously making them a load of cash just by existing. Um, but in terms of like new content, like Tokyo RPG Factory is just not not they're not, they're not delivering based on what people thought they would no the vision for the japanese portion of square enix is really lost and i don't know how they're gonna i get mean it the back. last big thing they did was octopath traveler on yeah, the switch that was but that didn't fair, even sell that, that much that was huge but yeah um i mean in huge in terms of it 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 raised raised the bar as far as like um acclaim but like yeah, I just, yeah, it's really, it's really going to be a weird time if, um, like, what what happens after the Final Fantasy VII remake? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess with Tabata, um, obviously he's left now. He's founded his own studio called JP Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working on a new game called the Pegasus Dream Tour, which is an RPG that's going to act as the first official game for the Paralympics. Uh, for the 2020, it's going to be released in in preparation for, which is pretty cool. Um, and he he's kind of said on on his own words that he's he's using it to try and help rebuild his career, which mm. I, I guess the situation he's in really isn't it. He's got to try and build back up. Yeah, he'd worked all his he'd worked, I don't know, like 20 years to get to that peak, and then just it's gone. Yeah, so he's got to try and build himself back up again. Um, I don't know, like obviously we don't we don't know what happened but i don't know if it was the best note to sort of leave on if you know what i mean like even though he's had so much success with final fantasy 15 i feel like he needed he needed to do something with luminous studios that made him something of like hideo kojima it felt like a bit of a knee jerk yeah um because if you think about the two the two high profile uh departures in japanese video gaming that i can think of and i think there there's probably more like inafune stuff but like um uh, you think uh sakaguchi and K- uh kojima yeah sakaguchi had already like started thinking about mr walker Mm-hmm. a year or two before he left i he think he'd already trademarked it like he'd like started thinking about whatever what he was going to do probably was already negotiating deals around the first couple of games that he was going to make with microsoft like he he had a plan like he left and like almost immediately afterwards in my brain timelines may be slightly further apart but lost odyssey and blue dragon did not arrive too long after i think they both released like 2005 2006 and he left in 2003 2004 mm-hmm um maybe a little bit earlier but it was it wasn't too distant and uh kojima very similar like he mgs5 left already basically had already lined up a deal with sony to work on death stranding yeah like how whereas tabata like he just released one of the biggest japanese games in the last like 10 15 years Mm -hmm. sold 8.4 million copies if not more Mm -hmm. that's way more than mgs5 I, yeah. but I'm just speculating. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea, but no. I, I'm assuming it's more than MGS5 because I don't think MGS games have ever been like massive, massive sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to check right now. Yeah. Um, And yeah, he's now having to like work on on like a, a mobile game for the Paralympics as mm. his project. Like it's not, not to like um, degrade that, but it just seems weird that like yeah sakaguchi goes to like working on two console rpgs 
uh, Kojima goes to work on Death Stranding and like even when there was the, all the guys that left Capcom they made Clover Studios potentially but they Platinum Games like or all, all working on big games uh, Tango Gameworks as well like um, Evil apparently, Within um, apparently you can tell it's sold up 10 million no it only sold 6 million yeah so that's what I mean like yeah. you'd think that based on Kojima and his reputation that his games sell like tens Masses. of millions, but I don't think any MGS game has ever sold at over ten million. Mm. I think MGS Five might be actually the best selling. Mm, possibly, but either way, yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's the thing. Like the other, the other issue with it is the fact that like Tabata never had anything that was his own to make his mark on. Yeah, I guess that's like, right. Yeah, because he had think- Type Zero, but like everything, everything that was his was kind of tarnished, unfortunately. Because <laughs> like even Fifteen, it sold really well, but like the people who hate it were really vocal about it. And yeah. Type Zero, the people who didn't like Type Zero and, were very vocal and about it. And had the whole localization like scandal about how it's not going to come out. And- like I said on Twitter, how much I missed Tabata, and I got like people back saying no good riddance like he was horrible blah 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 yeah i guess that's a really valid point it's actually really because, a shame. Yeah, kojima made metal gear sakaguchi yeah. made final fantasy and most like, of to further that most of the problems with mgs5 were not with kojima no it was as Konami. well and people knew that so yeah. and like yeah the capcom guys uh like they made uh resident evil like you know <laughs> yeah. like it's a good it's a good thing to have on your cv oh yeah fyi i created resident evil yeah yeah i created mega man exactly exactly and tabata just didn't have that lined up no he wanted to he always wanted to make that new ip and he never got the chance no and he was going to have the chance and then for whatever reason he just felt like he had to leave and it might yeah and I guess, like, to to round out, um, it's kind of why we both loved Tabata because he was, like, despite the negatives, like, the guy wasn't perfect. And I, I think mm. neither of neither of us would sit here and say, like, he like he was just this amazing individual that did no wrong. No. Because he did make mistakes. Like, nothing, like as I said, the actor time reports kind of grated on me sometimes. Like, I don't necessarily think the decisions he made were the best sometimes. The I, way he, mar- <laughs> sometimes his marketing decisions were a bit, eh. You know, that's just the way it is. And I didn't necessarily like the DLC approach they were taking, but I, I understood why. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I, I understood. Yeah. And I think I could be disappointed and a bit frustrated with the decisions that were being made, but I understood the reasons why they were being made. Yeah. And I just, I appreciated how like gutsy and, and bold and confident he, and he, he, he kind of got it, you know, like, as you said, like, can you imagine Square Enix now doing anything like the actual time reports? No. Yeah. And like nobody really knew Ofuji-san as well before then. Like he'd been at Square for years. Like nobody really knew his name, but now like everybody knows Ofuji-san and he has his little baseball cap and that is his brand. <laughs> like you know, I but mean, even like the Final Fantasy 15 community team in Japan, mm, like they got to do stuff. They got yeah. to be like public faces, and like whereas like Seven Remake, I have literally no clue who who's working on the game outside of Nomura and um, Hamaguchi. 
yeah and katazi they're the only three people that have like ever said anything <laughs> and it's basically just katazi yeah and i mean that speaks to it too is the fact that like yeah their their development team is is just non-existent as far as as far as the game goes like and that's uh, that's kind of like the bugbear that we've had with Square Enix in general like the fact that um I mean it's just sort of like another um another example um or an outside example I guess um with Final Fantasy 15 there were more than one composer who worked on Final Fantasy 15 and it wasn't just Yoko Shimomura it was like a ton of people but the way that they marketed it made people believe that it was just Yoko Shimomura so therefore everybody just thinks it's Yoko Shimomura and that's so wrong cuz like there's so many people who worked on that game um there's so many people who composed well, they really didn't great even, music um, they didn't for... even credit the orchestra did they and the, there no. was like the whole thing yeah maybe i don't know in the games credits like um the video games something or other um they didn't really get credited with their work and but they like they'll single out these like sort of celebrities quote unquote but then yeah the the sort of other people they won't like the fact that Nomura has the audacity on every single image to be Tetsuya Nomura copyrighted by Tetsuya Nomura copyrighted by Tetsuya Nomura oh my god is this a Tetsuya Nomura character I couldn't tell that by the fact that his eyes are super huge and they have little circles inside of them I couldn't tell that no like Amano doesn't have to do that you look at an Amano artwork you know that it's Amano because of the art style but like Ah, uh, it just, yeah. Um, but no I, I other think that artist apart from Roberto Ferrari's ever done that at Square. But like, I think, I think that is also part of the issue, and probably why we're we're unsure as to who else can take up the challenge of doing another Final Fantasy, new Final Fantasy thing, is because they don't give credit to the lower people who are probably more than able to and probably don't even give them a chance to. All right, and breathe. But yeah. <laughs> and, and, breathe. and the people that they do give the chance to, they ruin, like Tabata. Well, we don't know who ruined what. I don't know. I know. It's all assumptions. <laughs> it's all assumptions. All, all that we know is that Crisis Core Type-0 and, and Final Fantasy fifteen, despite the, the naysaying that we have also projected will still hold a fond place in our hearts. And I really hope that Tabata is able to build JP Games into something where they can mm-hmm. get back to making like AAA games. Yeah. Because he had such a good unit for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, they His stories were much more like dark and, and heart-wrenching. Mm. And was... please collaborate with Ishimoto as well. Because <laughs> them with the music and everything is gorgeous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a somewhat fitting tribute, we have uh, decided our music this episode is going to be an arrangement of Luna's theme. Mm. Also a sacrificial lamb. Mm. And uh, it's by uh, <laughs> Daigoro789. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. It's a piano arrangement. The next episode of Final Fantasy Union is scheduled to come out on the 5th of November. 2019. I don't know why I've started saying the year now. It just seems <laughs> to work. Yeah. Um, be sure to check out all our news coverage on FinalFantasyUnion.com as well. And if you enjoy the show, why not consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FFKHUnion. All right, guys, it's time for us to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. This has been a Final Fantasy Union. Do- 
I'm Daryl saying goodbye. This has been a FinalFantasyUnion.com production.